Sing it, Dave. Oh, come on. I'm so sorry if you might hear that. Uh, <laughs> okay, hang on, hang on. I, I, I gotta say something about this, Dave. Okay. Yeah. You were a children's pastor. I was a children's pastor two times. Okay, so as a children's pastor, yeah. did you not use paying your tithe as a puppet song? No, I did not. I didn't know about the existence of this magnificent piece of uh, music. <laughs> oh. I've yeah. never heard it before either. <laughs> How can you be alive in the kingdom of God and not hear paying your tithe? I, I get the message. I knew the message paying your tithe. I have not heard this... Uh, yeah, this is amazing in so many ways. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Okay, okay, okay. I'll turn it down. Oh well, you know, if you're confused about what you're hearing, this you're if you're if you're tuning in for the podcast, an open letter, you are actually in the right place, and we are continuing our little journey of uh, kind of mixing up the theme song, uh, which we've been changing every episode now thanks to <laughs> our good friend chad thank you chad that was your idea oh well i know was but it? you took it in directions i had not anticipated but that's okay but that's the fun part i know it's great i love it see from my end if you look at dave's face <laughs> when these things start it's priceless yeah <laughs> it's price it's worth every second of it and i have been told that i do have a good a great face for podcasting and radio so uh there is that as well I noticed your wife didn't deny that. Oh, no, she, she did. did right away. And I, I give her props for that. Um, so this they is. can't see his yeah. beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> this is an open letter. <laughs> and we start like we always do just by kind of having some fun. And I like to introduce those who are with us on the podcast. To my left, my lovely wife of just over three months is Carol Wilson Tisma. Say hello. hello. There you go. Say hello. Across from me is my good friend of 20-some years, Mr. Chad Cashman. That's me. And to his left, my right, is, uh, I, I would say, an audience member. We have Julie... Ty. And, what? Ty, like Taekwondo. Julie Ty? Yes. I did not know your last name. It's, uh, it's Chad's... Do I say girlfriend? Yes. Friend? What yes. am I saying? Girlfriend. Chad's Woo-hoo! girlfriend. Why is she shaking her head? No, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's not happening. That's not happening at all. And uh, then uh, apparently we have to have a talk afterwards. <laughs> um, sorry for that little moment of uncomfortability. Status of the relationship talks are so much fun. Yeah, we like to call them "come to Jesus" meetings. Um, <laughs> and in the background, you may hear a little thumping and bumping around, and that is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Her name is Sharla Hintz. Sharla, can you say hi <laughs> to the listeners of hi. the letter? Yeah. Charlotte, where are, you, where are you calling from today? From Omaha, Nebraska. So, long-time listener, first-time caller. Just kidding. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we are going to be diving into, again, the story of Mike and Sharla Hintz. If you listen to our previous podcasts, um, Charlotte's husband Mike was on, and he went through their story, which is a very challenging story with um, some real, real challenges that they've experienced in their marriage. So we're going to be going into Charlotte's side of it, Charlotte went out and wrote a book, and I have that book here in my hands. It's called Love Again by Sharla Hintz, and you can get it um, online at Amazon, right, Sharla? Yes. Is there anywhere else, anywhere else they can get it, or is that pretty much the best um, way? That's the best way to do it, yeah. Okay. I would direct people to family uh, Christian bookstores, but they're all closing, so you can't... Get well, then you could anything. get a good deal on the book. Perhaps. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So, Charlotte, we're going to start, and everyone else, we start every segment with a little something I like to call off the cuff, where I just kind of ask a question that literally has popped into my mind anywhere from a day before to a couple minutes before. <laughs> um, I've so, had these before from you. So <laughs> yep. That's right. Um, <laughs> so what I want to hear now, and I don't think we've, we did this the other day with some friends, um, and so, did we do this on this 
did we do worst movie? One of the worst movies you've ever seen on this podcast before? No, I don't think so. All no. right, so that's what we're it's doing really today. Hard to is it? It is a tough question, but I want you to think about one of the worst movies you've ever seen, and we're all going to answer. And even Julie can answer if she wants to, but she's not required to as an audience member. Um, I'm going to go first because I've got I've got one. It's easy for me. Transformers Two was <laughs> I saw the first one. I really enjoyed the first one for what it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was silly, but it was fun. It was before Shia LaBeouf went nuts. And the second one was the worst cinematic piece of garbage I think I've ever seen in my life. It wow. made no sense. And and Michael Bay, doesn't, the director, he doesn't care. He would have these incredibly huge plot holes just built up so that he could have this really cool-looking scene in his mind. And it was just so terribly, terribly bad. So that's my answer. Chad, do you have an answer? What I have. It? See, it's tough because yeah. there are two movies that are just awful. They're so awful, you probably never heard of them. And if you did, you would agree with me right away. Okay. Okay. One is called Ishtar. I've heard of Ishtar. Yeah, it's I terrible. Is it's that the Warren Beatty film back from the like 70s? No, I think this was like the 80s Dustin Hoffman. Oh. Okay. It's that bad. And then... They tried to do a comic book hero movie called Dark Man. I've heard of Dark Man, actually. It's, it's bad. Didn't see it, but I've heard of it. Uh, it's bad. That was an 80s movie as well, I think. It was. The 80s, there were parts of the 80s where just just weren't good for movies. <laughs> yeah, largely forgettable. <laughs> Charlotte Hintz, I hear you giggling in the background there. Do you have an answer? Okay, yeah. The movie I watched that I just couldn't stand, and a lot of people liked it, so it's going to maybe offend somebody, but... Um, Fifth Element, if you've ever oh, watched it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Uh, I hated it. I hated it. I just, I regretted the time I spent watching it. You wanted those two hours back, right? I totally did. I just, I wanted to, like, erase it from my memory and my mind. Yeah. Is that the one? I think Bruce Willis was in that one? Yep. See, yeah. Now Carol yeah. is really regretting that Fifth Element tattoo that she got a few years back. <laughs> She's feeling really awkward right now. Miss Carol, do you have an answer? You don't have any answer. You've enjoyed every movie you've ever watched. No, well, I did make some less than ideal choices in dating for a while, and <laughs> I ended up seeing was the most recent Fast and Furious. I saw one of, I saw a couple of those. Those, those were did not very make regrettable. They See, got right a little there. redundant. Yeah, and I mean, how serious I'm can thinking, you be? And how I, fast I told can you, you go? about this the other day. It was a first date with someone. Well, it was the only date with someone. Yeah, was that and biker? And he took Bill? me to see Die Hard. Yeah, the most recent Die Hard movie. Yeah, like Die Hard Four. Or yeah, five. and it was there was a Die Hard it, Four. It was just yeah. horrible. Yeah, those those that that would probably be okay up there just yeah. because the acting or the story or what. Yeah, it was just. All the above. Charlotte, did you ever see any Horrible. of the uh, the other Die Hard movies besides the first one, which everyone's seen? No, I just saw the first one. Yeah. What did you think of that? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it's got the good Yeah, the stuff. first one's okay, but this yeah. one was... Yeah, they kept going, and they went into like his children. Yeah. And did you see Bruce Willis? Yeah, Bruce Willis is kind of the common denominator in some of these movies. I don't know what that means, but... Yeah. I like Bruce Willis because he's bald like me. I like him too. Yeah. 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 I hear he's not a nice guy, but sorry, Bruce, if that's not true, you can call in and disprove it. Um, Julie, yeah, did you have an answer? Hey, the phone's ringing. What? <laughs> we didn't even put a number out there. He's good. Um, Julie, do you have an answer? Yeah. I was thinking about the Englishman. Does anyone remember that one? The Englishman? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I heard of it and I didn't watch it. Yes. It was very cultural. It was. And I just still think about it every day. <laughs> every day? I can't get that away. You don't think about it every day. That's a lie. It's not, not a lie. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that is the lovely little segment we like to call Off the Cuff. I don't know why we do it. I, I just think it's fun. <laughs> so we do it. All right. Oh, you're the boss. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's Correction. Thing. I'm yes, the boss. You, you are the man with the power and the controls because you can shut any of us off at any time. And I can do cool <laughs> things like this. Oh, my. The poor I puppy. It, I thought it was a seagull. <laughs> I'm sorry. My wall says puppy whining. I'll go for the puppy whine for $500, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. 
All right. Well, as is often the case here with an open letter, we don't have a ton of time. We've got about 37 minutes. And I'm pretty sure that we are going to have to do a part two on this one. So we're going to kind of see where we are in about 37 minutes because our guest has to go. We are going to kind of get right into it, as I like to say. We're going to dive right in. And I'm just going to recap a little bit of Mike's story. I've known Mike and Sharla since 2001. And I got to be real good friends with Mike uh, initially as he and I were pastors together at a church, First Assembly in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And I was the children's pastor, he was the youth pastor, and he walked me through my own failure of, of viewing pornography at church and having to resign uh, subsequently from that. And Mike was the guy assigned to me, and he and I developed a real strong relationship through that. And it was, it was October 31, I think, 2004, Sharla? Yeah. Got a phone call. It was Mike on the line, and he had called, calling to tell me that he had had a sexual relationship with a uh, member of his youth group, uh, one of the girls in his youth group, a 17-year-old girl. As a result of that, he was arrested and, of course, lost his job and came very, very, very close to losing his marriage. If you listen to the last podcast, we go into the details kind of from Mike's point of view and his side of the story, and we take a real uh, pretty deep dive into that, and uh, we go into some very difficult places, and Mike went everywhere, everywhere and answered all the questions we, we wanted him to, but really, I love Mike. Mike is one of my best friends in the whole world. But that was kind of a setup to get Sharla on the show, quite honestly. <laughs> Sharla? <laughs> She's, why are you laughing, Sharla? Uh, that's just funny. It is kind of funny, isn't it? Um, it and, is. And part of the reason why I think, it, unfortunately, when you have a failure, that a lot of the attention generally gets placed on the person who failed. The hints is in what they went through. Um, although it did hit national news, it certainly wasn't like a Jimmy Swagger, Ted, you know, you know, Jim Baker kind of a thing. At that, at least not that volume of national attention. But it did, mm -hmm. it did garner some national attention. And unfortunately, a lot of the times, I mean, I don't know anything about Ted Haggard's wife. I don't know anything about Jimmy Swagger's wife. Everyone knows a little bit about Tammy Faye, just because of who, you know, her personality. But we don't mm -hmm. normally get to hear the female side of it. And what that does and what that failure and betrayal meant to the wife because the attention, the spotlight's usually on the guy. That's what seems very sensationalistic, and that's kind of what we focus on. And that's, that's, that's sad. It's a tragedy. So Sharla went out and, um, well, how, when did you start writing the book, uh, Sharla? I actually don't know when I started writing it because I wasn't planning on it being a book. I just kind of sat down at my computer and just started writing. When did you sit down and, and when did you start doing that process? Well, I mean, that's where it gets a little vague because I had, since the time that my kids were little, I just have these books and I write down stories about them. And so if they would ever say something funny or amusing or just endearing, I would write it down. And then blogs happened and I decided, hey, I should do that on a blog because it's easier for me to type than to write. And then also the grandparents could read it and so right. keep updated on their grandkids' lives. So that is where I initially started writing these thoughts down, but I you know, I, of course I didn't publish them. I just I just had them there right. and wasn't actually doing anything with them. And after a while, I just kind of thought, you know, I should just photo, you know, like copy and paste all of this, these blogs that I'm not going to publish into a Word document, so I have them all in one place. So I did that, and then it got to be quite long, and it is what eventually turned into my book. Do you kind of remember the basic time frame when you realized this needs to be a book? That's a very good question. I've never actually thought about it. I think that it was probably... About nine years after the crisis. At that time, we're going to go through some of this over the next couple of episodes here. Were you at a point where when you decided to write the book, did you, did you ask for Mike's permission or did you just kind of tell him you were going to do this? <laughs> when I first decided, this is a very reluctant author you have. <laughs> when I first decided, okay, I'm going to put it into a book, I had in mind that I would put it into a book 
And then I would just print four copies of it, and I would give it to one of each of my kids. And there would be four books in existence. And so when I, you know, proposed that idea, Mike was fully on board and said, yeah, that'd be be great for the kids to have, you know. And so at that time, my book didn't have, it just very briefly summarized our crisis part of the story and majored on the kids and the fun things that we did and all of that. I completed it, and then I read through it as like you would a rough draft, and I thought to myself, um, I can't hand a copy of this to my kids because it will feel like a lie because it's all just happy. It's mostly all just happy and cheerful and amusing and sweet and kind, and if they have their own families, they're going to feel like this doesn't line up with reality or, or, you know, like, why isn't my family as fun as the family I grew up in? Because I didn't talk about I just very briefly talked about it. I didn't. I didn't really explain it. So at that time, I decided, all right, I need to. I need to go back and I need to explain all of that. And then I'll give them a copy of this when they're older, like maybe when they're getting married or something, right? So that they can apply it to their own situation. And so yeah, then at that time, it was you know yeah, go for it. And which, I mean, he was like, go for it all along. But when I yeah. <laughs> when I decided to put his, his, I don't know if you've read it or not, but I put his parts, like his own thoughts in there yeah. from his journal. So I asked him, I asked him, I'd like some of your thoughts in this book as well. It's just mine. And can I use your journal? And he said, yeah, sure. And he got it for me and gave it to me. So I don't think he ever thought I would actually publish it for the world. He just was <laughs> thinking, yeah, that'd be great for our four kids to read someday. So how many... Um I mean, this I mean, not like it's hit the New York Times bestseller list yet, but I mean, how do you have an idea of how many copies that have sold so far? I have no idea, none. I could probably figure it out if I went on and looked at my Amazon account, but yeah. I haven't, I haven't done that. David likes numbers. <laughs> I do. I like to know how many listeners we have and how many plays we've had. And it's kind of a seductive trap to fall into, and I'm glad you haven't fallen into that. Because it can kind of be, it can, can kind of be maddening, kind of worrying about that stuff. Why did you want to get? I've, I have read the book. I just we've both read it. To be open and honest, I mean, I just finished it this morning, which I uh, I told Charlotte this morning. Um, but I've been reading it for the last few weeks. I did not plow through it, you know, trying to read it real fast. I actually had a little reluctance going into it because I've read self-published books before, and lar- like The Shack, and largely like The Shack, although has for me some great moments in it. It's very poorly written. Sorry, William Young, but he needed an editor. It would have helped a lot. Charlotte's book <laughs> surprised me with how good it was. I mean, oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's I've, I've read some of your blog and I've enjoyed that, but there's a huge difference between writing a blog and writing a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, you don't spend too much time trying to turn cute little phrases and stuff like that. You, you really, when you, you settle into that book, your story comes through. You have a great voice, and some mm-hmm. of the lessons you learned are just, incredibly important why did you want to get this story out there when you decided hey this is no longer for my children we're now going to release this to whoever wants to you know why did you decide to do that that's (laughs) so personal who would want to share all their personal stuff with people it's nuts nobody so crazy nobody yes nobody okay so this is how that happened i um i had done a little bit of speaking um just from, you know, people that knew me and would ask me to come in and talk to their women's group or their college group or something like that. So I had done a little bit of that. And my kids knew that I was putting together this book and that, you know, someday they would have a copy of it. So my daughter, who was, I think she was in ninth grade at that time, McKenna, my oldest daughter, mm-hmm. um, came home from school one day and she said, hey, mom, there's a teacher at my school and she wants a copy of your book. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, sweetie, I mean, it's just <laughs> on my computer. It's not it's not a real book. It's not a physical book. It's just a file I have on my computer. And she said, oh, okay. So then a couple of days later, she came home from school, and she said, um, I told my teacher that, and she said, could you please go to Kinko's and print it off? And she <laughs> sent me home a blank check wow. so that you could cover the wow. cost of it. That's and awesome. I I didn't even know her. I I've, I still to this day I've never met that teacher. Hmm. I don't know who she was, 
but I just felt like, to me, it felt like that is a desperate woman mm-hmm. or yeah. some, she needed, she, really she needed, needed yeah. some encouragement or she must have been going through something or had a friend going through something. I don't know what her circumstance was, but it kind of revealed to me the need of um, people who just don't know where to go. Yeah. Don't know where to go for advice or, you know, how do you get through this? How do you walk through it? And that's when I started just the idea just kind of started bouncing around in my head. Maybe this is for more than just my children. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm so glad you wrote it. Of course, I highly recommend this book. It is called Love Again by Charlotte Hintz. And you'll see it on our um, Facebook page as well. We'll put that on there. Um, so as I'm reading this book, you know, again, I've known Mike and Charlotte for a long time. Um, and I would say that when we first met the first couple of years, I'd say we were good friends, kind of more acquaintances than friends. And um, really, I think <laughs> our friendship has actually probably taken off more, um, especially my my friendship with Sharla since I moved away from Iowa and we've gone back and visited <laughs> them. And, and I, because Mike is this super large personality, which Sharla describes in the beginning of the book about how <laughs> when he goes in, he fills the room with his personality and, and Carol spent some time with it. Would you guys both say that's true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. His personality and his laugh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And his, and, and his intelligence. He's a very, yeah. very bright guy, but he's yep. super funny and super fun to be around. And there's a comment you made earlier in the book about how fear almost seems to him like almost like an inconvenience to ever be afraid of doing something. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, because you, you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been well. I nailed it when I said that. You did. So I've been posting things from Charlotte's book over the last couple of weeks, and she's like, "So this is a great story." She she contacted me and said that she was reading one of the quotes on my Facebook page and was like, "Wow, this is really good." And then she realized that she wrote it. <laughs> I was like, "That is so true." That's so true. Oh, and yes, she's like, "Oh, I that was my, that's from my book that I wrote." And then occasionally. <laughs> David will be using his swiping on his phone to post the quotes and puts in some really interesting <laughs> yeah, the typos. Other one, I put in something about being aware of your depravity. Instead of depravity, I put in <laughs> when you're not aware of your deodorizing. Which, <laughs> I was I like, what? I don't remember this. I, I, didn't, get any, I didn't get any when likes. When did she talk about deodorizing? I don't get what? any liked on, I didn't get any likes on that post at all. It was so weird. Um, I was at Taco Bell text. Anyway, never mind. It was great to get the backstory on you guys and kind of how you grew up because a lot of that I didn't know. I had no idea you were such a science nerd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not something that comes out um, often in conversation, but yeah, yeah I'm I pretty know, right? into science. Yeah, hey, by the way, I'm this huge science nerd. And you, what, was your, what did you want to do? Like when you were younger and you're going to college, I mean, like what was your dream job? Oh, um, so ideally, I mean, I graduated with a science major. I would have done anything in the science world. Like, ideally, I would have been doing something with a lab involving, like, Bunsen burners and such things. But as my college life progressed, I fell in love. And then the goal was more to get through college quickly and start my new life. And so I ended up, instead of doing, like, chemistry or something, I did just a general science with an earth science kind of emphasis. So I did a lot of geology, study of volcanoes, study of the ocean, things like that. Yeah, yeah. So when I read that part in the book, it made me like you even more because I was a total science oh. nerd too. <laughs> I don't think you guys knew that about no, each other. Two no, science I nerds. That. I drove my mom nuts by bringing bugs and worms in the house. <laughs> <laughs> She's, she let, used to let mosquitoes bite her because she felt sorry for them and she wanted them to eat. So she offered her own flesh. <laughs> Come mosquitoes. You're very, very caring. That's, yes, <laughs> she, she absolutely is. The first part of our interview here, I want to go over some of the key points in the story, some of the parts that stood out to me, and I want to read them back to you, and I just kind of want to get your expanded thoughts on them, okay? So about halfway through the book, you have a quote. Uh, I'm going to quote you. I'm going to read to you from your own okay. book. And you say, okay. because the, the beginning of this process you're obviously extremely angry with Mike. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about some of those emotions about what you were feeling 
when he confessed to you, can you kind of tell us your reaction and what you did? Because I think that's it's a good story. Yeah, I mean, looking back on that now, I think I probably was in a, in a somewhat of a state of shock because all of a sudden I just had these weird experiences. His words were like sounding war, you know, like weird to my ears. Um, like my hands were freezing cold and really itchy, and I couldn't like scratch them enough. And I was folding laundry at the time. And then I just remember taking all that laundry and, like, throwing it at him. And I don't know. I mean, like, what, is, what was in my mind to make me want to throw? And it was clean, you know, so, like, it's not going to hurt him. <laughs> <laughs> all his clean laundry all over him, you know. Yeah. But I just threw it at him. And then, I, I mean, I know I yelled a lot. And my body felt weird. Like, just kind of like when um, you fall, like your arm falls asleep or something. Yeah. I had that feeling like on, on my scalp and down my back. And then literally, I don't remember anything until the next morning. Well, when you get news like that, and, and, and you've talked about before in the book that you're a very blunt person. Yes. You just kind of <laughs> say things how they are. And like when yes. you had to report to someone that someone had died, you're like, yeah, they're dead. And, and you're yes. like, people are upset. You're like, what is wrong with you human beings? I don't understand why you're upset. <laughs> yes. So I, I, and actually, I didn't really know that about you either, because at this point, when I've known you in your life, you're not, I don't, I don't, you've never struck me as blunt like that. Um, <laughs> I've worked on it. <laughs> I know you have. So it sounds like you were in shock. I think, I think so. I mean, I didn't know it at the time. I wasn't even worried about that. But yeah, I think, I think so. We've talked about grief in the last few episodes as well. We've talked about whether there are actually stages of grief or not a little bit. And so, but this obviously, there is this intense white hot anger at the beginning of an event when you hear these types of things. How long did that last for you? Well, that at that intensity, it lasted that evening. That evening, and then I'm assuming, I don't remember, but I'm assuming all night long. Yeah. Because I don't remember. I don't have any memories of that. So it must have, you know, just it lasted that whole time. Then when I woke up in the morning, I think it was still intense, but just a, a different level of intensity. But I know I can tell for sure for Chad and Carol and I, there have been these moments that are defining moments. Moments we'll never forget, even though we certainly did not enjoy going through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certainly was one of those moments in your life. Do mm-hmm. you do you think about that day at all, ever, or just kind of in moments like this when you're kind of forced to recall it? Yeah, I, I don't really ever think about it anymore. Yeah, and we're 13 years away from that now, and I don't. It doesn't cross my mind unless someone asks about it or um, something happens to remind me of it. You know, it's funny because a lot of people have an event like that. And they never recover. And yes. they will replay that moment over and over again in their minds for the rest of their life. I mean, how long were you replaying that moment in your mind over and over again? Well, I definitely, probably like the first three months, I couldn't, I just couldn't stop, you know. And your brain will just sit there and puzzle yeah. it out until until either it makes sense or your brain just gets too tired and gives up. Mm. And it took about three months for my brain to just kind of quit and feel like there's just no answer. But, you know, you you know that there's no answer that's going to make set logical sense to you, but your brain will still, will still just spin itself like crazy just trying to figure it out. And that happened for about probably the first three months. And then... A conversation with my dad is probably what ended that for me. I'm going to jump ahead to that. We have that in here, but I want to read what your dad said. He said, trials happen to everyone. They are like tests in life. They show you who you really are and what you really believe. They let you decide who you want to be and give you the opportunity to be that person. You don't get to choose what those tests are going to be. They just happen. But you do get to choose your reaction. It's one of those things in your life you ever really choose for yourself. Yeah. And you said you're pretty mad at your dad when he said that. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes, I was because I expected him to be on my side. You know, I, I kind of felt a little bit like saying that to me is taking a different side than my side. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I wanted him to be defensive of me and to feel like, yes, you're justified to feel that way. And mm-hmm. I feel that way on your behalf as well. That's kind of what I expected. And and when he said that, I was it at first it, it shocked me a little bit and it made me feel a little upset. You were upset because you felt like he maybe wasn't on your side. Was there anything else yeah. in that statement that upset you? Well, I didn't want that statement to be true. I wanted, I wanted to continue being mad, like serious mad, and I wanted to continue being justified in it. And so I didn't want to cross that threshold to the point where I was going to have to start letting it go because that felt scary to me. And so I... Not only did I feel like he kind of just didn't take my side and agree with me blindly like he should have, but um, <laughs> I also felt like, but also what he was saying feels very uncomfortable to me. Why was it uncomfortable? Because uh, that just felt like almost like accepting it, and I didn't want to do that. It put a lot of responsibility on you. I mean, at that point, yeah. knowing, having gone through an experience somewhat like that, you just... You, you want to blame the other person and put all the responsibility on them, but he was sort mm-hmm. of throwing it back at you. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask this question. Why is it so hard to let go when someone has wronged you? You referenced it in the book, and this, and this kind of brings it up too. When you have chosen not to forgive somebody, it does make you feel like you have this level of power over them. So could mm-hmm. you could you address why that's hard to let that go and what what is with that feeling of power we don't want to forgive and we don't feel like they deserve it? Could you kind of talk about that? Yeah, because it's really hard. You feel like there's a, there's a couple different fears that go into it. You fear that by letting it go, for one thing, it's almost like saying that it's okay that it happened. Right. And that's not how you feel about it. Right. And then another thing is you feel like maybe then they'll also stop being sorry about it. Mm-hmm. And then another thing is that you fear that it will happen to you again. Like if you, It's almost like a letting down of your guard, and you're making yourself vulnerable, so it will happen again. Your view about vulnerability is, I can't be more vulnerable. I can't put myself out there again. I can't have vulnerability in my life. Is that Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's how you feel. That's how you feel, and then to let it go feels like doing the opposite of that. So that's where some of the fear comes in, because now I'm, I'm mm-hmm. maybe recreating an opportunity for this to replay itself. Yeah, and it's almost like a pride thing, you know, just saying everybody will think that I'm okay with this. That's an interesting way of putting that. I mean, you, of course, we know that to, to hear that term, and you say that, I mean, it's like most people would never do that. It's, it's kind of really not true. But, I mean, where do you think that thought kind of comes from that, like, oh, everyone's going to be like, oh, Charlotte, she must be cool that that's happened. It must be okay. I had people tell me that. People <laughs> told you that? What? Yeah. I had people, people told say you that? that? To like, yes. They said, they said what? Yeah. People said to me, I, I mean, a lot of different things, but, you know, the g- general message was, how are you okay with this? Because I ended up staying in my marriage. Right, right. Um, Initially, you no. were very torn, obviously. Exactly. But at that time, that was maybe three months in, I still didn't have a decision. I didn't know if I was going to file for divorce. I didn't know if I was going to stay. I didn't have a decision made. Yeah. And pe- people couldn't understand that. They, you know, they would say, you know, so what are you going to do? Are you going to get divorced? And I'd say, I, I don't know. And okay. then they would say, well, how could you not? Like, how are you okay that this is happening? How are you okay with this? If you don't get divorced, that's like saying that you're okay, that this is okay. But you know what? No matter what you choose, people are going to criticize it because yeah. Yeah. I didn't even file for a divorce, but people came after me. How can you get divorced and you know give up on your marriage like that? Yeah, people so, are loud. Did you say people are loud? Yeah, people are loud. They it's- are. An interesting way of phrasing that. I like that. People are loud. And why do you think why why do you think they need to be so loud about topics like this? Well, I know 
there's a, a feeling like the louder you are about it, the more safe you are that this won't happen to you. This, mm-hmm. like, it's almost like a disease that you're vaccinating yourself against. Right. If you take like a huge stance against it, then your husband will definitely know that you are not one of those people that will put up with it, and so this will not happen to you. <laughs> That's interesting. I and kind of a side note. I I sometimes it's interesting what people will protest against. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the I, you know I me thinks you part you know. Um, uh, oh, what me thinks the lady doth protest him. Yes, that that one. That, yes. I speak good. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things on this, on this, on the, what your dad said to go back to that, you talk about, you get to find out who you really are and what you really believe. So could you tell us a little bit about who you really were? What was exposed in this? And because again, yeah. we're not, we're not letting Mike off the hook. He did, he did pay a price for this action as well as he should have paid a price. This was not, it wasn't okay. He did this. We're not excusing right. it in any way, shape or form, but yet, right to go with that what did you learn about you through this process what did it expose oh man yeah it made me a completely different person actually it (laughs) i felt like going through something like this and and whatever it is you know whatever your crisis is every crisis will bring this to you this opportunity you start seeing things come out of you that are are just you know maybe extremely judgmental or narrow-mindedness. I felt like I was very opinionated before this happened. Mm. In fact, I had said I had said the statement to my husband, if you ever do anything like that to me, you know, at that time it was a, a couple we knew experiencing something like this. If you ever do something like that to me, I won't even listen to your excuse. I'm just going to never speak to you again in my entire life. You'll be dead to me. Wow. <laughs> There's that blunt, yeah. the blunt Charlotte's coming through again, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so those kinds of things were a part of me before. And then during this time, I felt like it was an opportunity. It was almost like the the pain and the suffering acts like sandpaper to kind of rub those rough edges down. Mm. I have a question for you, just From my own experience after betrayal, I found that I really struggled to be a mom. And I could Mm. do the essentials, and I made sure they were clothed and fed, but I felt like I did not have the emotional strength to give them the support they needed. How did you you cope with being a mom of four young children when, (laughs) when... their dad was gone and they didn't know why and mom was upset and they didn't know why. Like how, how did you get through that? Yeah, that is a really good question. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that is actually what saved me because I had to take care of them. There was nobody else doing it. You know, even though we had family in town and I know that they would have been willing to do it, but I think maybe we just have very wise parents and they didn't volunteer all the time and so I was a stay-at-home mom we had four kids and you know so daycare would have been crazy but I had to you know make sure that they got to school in the morning make sure somebody made their lunches make sure that they were getting fed also our kids are really close in age there wasn't one kid that could take care of another kid they were all the same all basically the same age so the responsibility was just completely on my shoulders and I had to just do it there wasn't really a choice. I'm thinking of, of the emotional support because, yeah, I, I didn't have a choice either. I, I didn't even have family in town, but it was just sort of like, you've got to do the next thing. Just do yeah. the next thing necessary. It'd be funny if I went back and watched a movie myself. I'm not sure if I would have been really happy with the way I did it. But I don't know. I felt almost like, for me, the times that I that I was engaging with them took me away from just the intensity of the pain and the anguish. And so it was almost like an escape. So I kind of threw me myself into their world, like hardcore. So, and my kids are super funny. That's another thing. (laughs) They're just really, really, really funny. And so they would make me laugh. And imagine where they get that from. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Not from their parents. So as this went through in, in, in trials, and I agree with your dad, and I know your dad a little bit, and 
and trials do reveal things about us. So for you, it kind of peeled the curtain back. The question is, are you going to choose to look at what's being revealed? Hmm. In the midst of, certainly, honestly, you were a victim, right? Yeah. Something really, really horrible happened to you that you would have never chosen or would not choose for anyone else to go through. And now yeah. here you are going through this. What type of fortitude, what do you attribute it to that you were able to go, I'm going to take a look at what's being revealed rather than ignoring it and staying angry? Well, there's probably a couple of things. One is that I'm just very, very logical person. I have an ability to separate myself from my emotions and operate in logic instead of being emotional about it and kind of taking a step away. Right. So that helped a lot. And then just the voice, I mean, the voices around me that I was paying attention to, which weren't any because we had lost most of our friends and everything, but my dad's voice and um, a good friend of mine who is a marriage therapist, I would call her, like, every day. And so those two people really spoke into me. And gently, I mean, I guess my dad wasn't too gentle about that, but, you know, <laughs> they they just kept telling me truth over and over and over and over again instead of giving into what would have been more comfortable. Yeah, and I, I know that in my in, in experiences I've had and I've, I've witnessed with other people that when you're going through that, not everyone looks for voices that will speak truth a lot of times you will go to hear voices that will just encourage mm -hmm. the negativity you're feeling yes probably a good benefit of losing all of our friends <laughs> you know it is it, the part of me is too is hard because i was on the periphery of your of your life at that point and some of this, yeah. I was I was kind of going through my own stuff and doing my yeah, own thing. Yeah, and absolutely. But it's like, oh man, I wish I would have known, you know, because <laughs> it's hard to hear that you guys, you know, you guys with Mike's very gregarious personality, connecting with people well. He had lots of friends, and you know, being a youth pastor, just I would call a very successful youth pastor. I didn't realize to what extent you guys had lost friends. I'm sure you experienced the same thing, probably when you went through yours yeah we we kind of we had a couple you know close core friends and they stayed and some of the fringe mm -hmm. people left and we didn't yeah we didn't care a lot about that but we were able to stay at the church so right. we, we yeah. were there the next sunday and you had a restraining order against your husband from going to the church <laughs> yeah um, and that that's, makes you not want to go yeah kind of because you know having the cops called is, is not always good <laughs> not good now, I, I'm actually, my wife here, I'm wondering what you're feeling here, sweetie, because you're having some emotions. It just brings back memories. Talk to me a little bit about what's mm -hmm. going on. And you, why don't you and Charlotte talk a minute? Tell her what you're feeling. Well, I just was really very much alone at the time. I didn't have friends like that. So what happened with you? You're just alone? Yeah. Yeah. I know that, but I mean, you know, this has happened a few years ago, but it's not super long time ago. And mm -hmm. Carol is going to be representative of, I'm hoping, a lot of women and, and even men today that are now feeling like they're going through this really difficult place and they mm -hmm. feel like they're all alone. How do you survive mm -hmm. that? How do you survive that? I'm telling you, it's really, it's really hard. I work with women now, and their stories just break my heart because they are oftentimes just completely alone. And, I mean, to the extent of, I know, one lady I've worked with, like, they've actually moved, and she's new here, and she has no friends, and this is happening. Like, that is alone, and now it's a legal thing, so she can't move back and yeah. all that. I mean, it's just that loneliness is it's, it's <laughs> it's really consuming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in fact, to the point where she's even feeling it right now, just remembering what those mm -hmm. emotions were like. I mean, mm -hmm. and so for those, what would you say... To those who are aware of those who are going through something like this and might mm -hmm. be feeling that loneliness, what would you say to them? If you, like, you have a friend who's going through something like this, what could they do if to you help? Have a friend going, yeah, if you have a friend going through something like this, I don't even care if it's a friend, if it's just an acquaintance, That's a person you know say. going through something like yeah. this, say something. Because I think the fear is everybody's like, well, I don't know what to say. I might say something wrong. Right. And we're not actually that close. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so they don't say anything, uh -huh. but 
that's worse. It's worse than than if you talk awkwardly and you stumble over your words and you're not really sure of what to say. Should they quote like um, all things work together for good for those who love God? Should you, should you use that one? You know, it'd just be good to say, "Hey, my heart's breaking for you." Oh, that's, is there that's good. anything I could do for you? Could I drop off a pizza at your house so you can feed your kids? I'm just here to let anyone know if they want to drop a pizza off at my house, and we're going. We're doing pretty well right now. I'm open to anyone <laughs> dropping a pizza off at my house. So I just want to put that out there, just in case. So. <laughs> Because <laughs> like, you, know, you never know who's listening, so it's just in case. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Boy, there's just there's so much good stuff here. Another quote we have, we've got a couple minutes left, I'm going to bring up, is you say, we have it backward. We should not use love to complete us. We should be complete, and then we are free to love. Mm. And Carol has a couple questions on that. Yeah, okay. I had put down, how does a person become complete? It's one thing to know intellectually that Jesus is enough or that you don't need to please other people or care about their opinions, but how do you actually change your thinking to be more like that? I think at the heart of it is motivation. So are you looking for relationships because you feel like you need them, because you feel like you're not as good unless you have a boyfriend or, you know, someone you're dating or something like that? You know, what's your motivation for looking for relationships? Are you, are you fulfilled and whole? And if you have a relationship or not, you feel the same way about yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, except I wasn't really even thinking about a romantic relationship. I was just thinking about people in general, friends and people that surround us. Mm. That's where it gets a little more tricky because it's obvious. It's more obvious you know, in a romantic relationship. Yeah. But if you apply the same kind of thinking to your your bigger relationships, it, I guess the, the thing that I advise people now, and looking back, I advise them, you know, where do you go to get your strength? Mm. Yeah. Are, you, are you going to the Lord, and do you feel like that's the biggest voice you're listening to? Mm-hmm. Or do you, like you know, take a survey of all of your friends <laughs> and then go with yeah. the highest vote. Right. Yeah, majority on, vote. Or put it on Facebook. So what you're, what you're saying is yeah. like, what's your well? So I, wanna, I want you to yeah. clarify. We've yeah. got, a, so when you say, and I'm just going to press a little bit here, when you say, you know, like, hey, are you going to find that from the Lord or bring it to the Lord uh, or find it in the Lord, what does that mean? Can you give us some practical, because that can sometimes sound Christianese, mm-hmm. go to the Lord. Take it to the cross. Yes. Take it to the and cross. So, yeah. Obviously, when when this news came out and when Mike told me this, I did not at that moment think to myself, "Well, I'm just going to turn to the Lord <laughs> and and do this." You pagan. But, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, because I was too busy praying he would die. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thankfully, your faith wasn't strong enough for that to come true. And that's and, least, and you're not joking there. <laughs> at least you were praying. You were praying yeah. for the imminent death of your husband. I can relate yes, to that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I did notice, you know, over the next few days, and which stretched into weeks and months, I became extremely selective about what was coming in, what, it's almost like, um, if you're a patient in a hospital, you have to be very, very picky about who comes into your room Mm -hmm. and what germs you're exposed to. Mm. And that's how I felt about myself. Like I'm wounded so much that I know that I'm completely vulnerable to anything around me. And I needed, I didn't know at the time, like I need to, I need to do this. I just automatically kind of did it. I began being extremely picky about even the songs I listened to, and that sounds crazy, but when you're in the middle of, like, such an intense wound, the songs you listen to make a big difference. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so I found some music or, like, some artists and just some songs that spoke to me and made me feel like the Lord was near when I listened to them. And some of them didn't even have, like, Christian words. Like, some of them were just classical, you sure. know, so they didn't have any words at all. They helped me, in my own mind, focus in 
and not dwell on those things that felt more comfortable, like the anger and the hatred and the just all of it, you know, just all the terrible things. It just kind of helped me get my brain out of that. Some of the music I listened to was extremely, upli- you know, it was just singing about the presence of the Lord. Yeah, and most of it was just, you know, like song, literal songs from the Bible that were set to music, and I just felt like I could do that. And I stopped reading every single book. <laughs> I didn't read a single book except for the Bible. Wow. And I only read Psalms. No mm-hmm. other book, just Psalms. Mm-hmm. And mostly just two or three verses at a time, because that's all I could handle. Yeah. And, and that's how I did it. Yeah. How did you stay away from toxic people? Because it's not that you like go unclean and run away. Um, you know, how did you, <laughs> you know, because you, you come to a realization like this is probably not a good conversation or maybe like some people, you know, like I can't be around Martha because Martha is going to be like your husband's a piece of crap and you got to get rid of him, yeah. blah, blah, Who's blah. Martha? I don't know. I just made up a name. I don't know. If I apologize, if a friend of Charlotte's named Martha is listening to this, I'm not talking about you. Just throwing a name out there. Send your hate mail somewhere else. So how did you stay away from toxic people? Okay. It was pretty easy because nobody really wanted to hang out with exactly. me. Exactly. I wanted to hang out with you guys. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. You were one of the toxic people. You were busy. People. You're doing your own thing. <laughs> Uh, sorry just went i had to go to my i had to go into me a second there sorry go ahead (laughs) yeah but we didn't our phone wasn't ringing off the hook with people wanting to invite us to things and to places so it wasn't super hard any relationship in our life at the time would have taken a lot of effort we just didn't put effort into the places that it wouldn't have been healthy there was only really one relationship that i didn't realize until maybe two months in that this is not a good person for me because at the beginning you're just so confused you don't really know you don't right. really know the difference between good advice and bad advice and right. so about two months in I I felt like there's there was um, the ma- the main person and then a couple of her friends and I just felt like I don't know what they're saying to me doesn't really line up with what my dad is saying and what my friend Trisha is saying and she's a marriage therapist so she's probably smart after a while I just felt like that has to go. And I just sat down and I just, I even had a conversation. I just said, I can't, I can't really hang out with you. I can't talk wow. to you. So Blunt Charlotte came out and said, bye-bye, Felicia. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, but you're not good for me right now. Wow. How'd they take that? Uh, it was a rough conversation and I've never talked to them again. Well, oh. well there it is. Well, it's kind of tough to recover from that one, I think. But um, Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, Charlotte, I... Again, there's so much more. We've just barely, in my opinion, scratched the surface because I think there's so many great lessons that I that you learned and I think that are so yeah. applicable to so many people. Forgiveness and having a sense of mm. self and giving yourself away and mm-hmm. taking risks taking and risks relationships. Again. As Carol and I are remarried to each other, um, <laughs> you know, we didn't get to keep our marriages. And we've talked mm-hmm. about that today. And that's, that was a source of still some sorrow and pain in our lives and guilt like well what if we would have done it like mike and charlotte maybe we what if we were different people what if we were more like them and and i know that you would say you know shut up don't don't think like <laughs> <Yeah>. that because <laughs> you're blunt um i'll smack you <laughs> through the phone you can't reach the next the next hot tub session because that's the big thing we do with these guys we we hot tub it um all year round doesn't matter but um we we want to come out this summer, though. Uh, we're hoping to come out this summer and see you guys. Perfect. We'd love it. And we're pretty sure that you owe us a trip out here. Pretty yeah. sure. You are dead right about that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to let you go. Is there anything in, in closing that you want to say, Sharla, to any of our listeners, kind of just in your journey and what you've experienced? I mean, just kind of go, I mean, not to be not to be silly here, but just by being led by the Spirit, you think there's anything you need to say? I always tell people, if you find yourself in this kind of a crisis, number one, don't do anything for a long time. Mm-hmm. Don't make any big decisions. Yeah. Just make small, tiny decisions. No big decisions for a long time. Take it slow. And then, you know, find people who are healthy voices in your life and realize that this is a season and it will, uh, it will end. It will have an end. Mm, I like that. So the voices that you've been trusting for a long, long time, don't shun those. Don't run right. away from those and run to new voices. 
that are kind right. of indulging your feelings. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, my friend, thank you so much for your time. We will be in touch because um, we'd like to do this again. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. All right, say hi to your kids and say hi to Mike for us. Yeah. Okay, will do. All right, thanks. Bye, Charlotte. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, again, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We really have a lot more to talk about with Charlotte. I think you could kind of you know, grasp that. Chad, do you have any comment on, on any of this? I mean, the, the interesting thing to me is that you, when we first talked about having Mike on the pro, on the podcast, and I remember you had a specific response about Mike. And you mean, do you remember having your response? I did have a concern. Yeah. And it was just simply the vocabulary that was used. It was painted to me as if the teenage girl was an aggressor. And in my mind, I thought, she's a teenage girl. Right. She really can't be an aggressor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was one of our biggest um, things we wanted to make sure we were careful of, is not to cause any more pain on someone who is already a victim. And in her particular case, I have a lot of respect for her because what she went through, just based upon her words, she can bring healing to people who have been through it or maybe been through something similar or something not as big, yeah. but just simply those words can bring healing. Yeah, and you mean you mean Charla? Yeah. Charla, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, and Mike too. He's oh, got absolutely. he's got a good testimony of how he came through that. And a lot of men can relate to the dealing of temptations. You know, both of them have a very good testimony. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can be easy because it, your initial response, well, wasn't bad, was. Well, you know, maybe this guy's a jerk and maybe he's, you know, you didn't say that, but there was, I felt an implication of maybe this, this guy's really not a good guy because who could ever do this? I mean, that's a terrible thing to do. I got it. I understood it. But I feel like after listening to Mike and Charlotte, I wondered if that's been tweaked a little bit. I think as long as the blame game's not being played, yeah, then there's really nothing more than I can say. Well, and I and I appreciate you bringing that up because we had not planned on doing this little add-on after the end of talking with Charlotte. But, I mean, if any way, shape, or form, and through the talk with Mike and through the talk with Charlotte today, it looks like we're trying to, the blame rests on Mike's shoulders for what he's did. He owns that. He totally, and if you read the book, he in his journal parts, he totally owns this was his fault. This was his mistake. And we're not trying to throw any type of, um, we're not trying to imply in any way, shape, or form that the person involved in this besides him did anything wrong. Like she, you know, like, like she was to blame. We're not trying to say that at all. Glad we're able to clarify that because I hope it hasn't sounded like that, but I am really good friends with Mike and Charlotte. I love them dearly, as I've said multiple times, and I don't want it to sound like I, you know, again, we acknowledge, you know, he should have been prosecuted. He, he was, he was arrested. He was on the sex offenders list for 10 years and that, um, and, and, and there's got, of course, there's got to be a price to be paid for those things. So it's a sticky situation. I mean, it's very tough, but I am so impressed with their willingness and ability. Mike's response of throwing himself 100%, going to God by praying and, and fasting and, and just, you know, just trying to get it right and going to therapy and, you know, and not just Christian therapy, but like going to therapists to try to, figured out so if you're going through a tough time if your marriage is struggling if if there's been a failure if there's been an affair um, the answer isn't always just to give up there are times that it is the answer to give up because i know there's some some circumstances out there but if you're willing to put your relationship in the hands of christ and pray about it and talk to the people you know and love and trust and respect, and don't isolate yourself. All right, so, you know, this is an open letter, and we like to talk about stuff like this because we feel it's important. We feel like these are things that need to be talked about, thought about, because I know some of you are going through stuff like this, and a lot of you know people who are going through stuff like this. We can't just be silent and watch them go through it. We need to be in community. We need to love and care enough to talk into each other's lives, even when we're not sure they want to hear it. Not with messages of judgment or condemnation, but of love and support. Um, and sometimes that does involve tough. Love doesn't always mean soft, gooey stuff. 
Sometimes it means you have to share some st- some tough truths. Just make sure you have the relational foundationship to say what you need to say. Uh, you can see Sharla's she's got a blog. It's called What Happened to My Marriage. And you can find that online, of course. You can find our uh, Facebook page. We'd love your feedback. We need to get that because otherwise we feel very sad. And it makes us very upset. And then we go to comfort food and then we all get fatter. And so you can help us stay skinny by commenting and giving us feedback and giving us a uh, a review on iTunes. That would be so cool. We'd love to hear what you think. Again, thanks for listening. This is an open letter. You got Chad, Carol, and Julie for the first time here today. And um, hope you'll listen again soon. Thanks.